Welcome to Sense 1899, the Ohio State women's basketball podcast, the only women's basketball team-specific podcast on SB Nation. This podcast is going to talk about OSU basketball from 1899 when the first published accounts of an OSU women's basketball game showed up in publication. It's the show where people connected to the program talk all things OSU women's basketball. On this episode is commentator Sloane Martin. She's a former news journalist who now commentates for college football, volleyball, and is the lead play-by-play commentator for Big Ten women's basketball, also commentates for the Big East. She's commentating on just about any college sport you can think of. Sloan discusses the upcoming top 10 matchup between the Buckeyes and Iowa Hawkeyes, weaknesses for both teams, can Caitlin Clark be stopped, and other important things like snacks and standing outside in the snow and rain. It's a really fun interview. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. As the season continues, look for more interviews like these with special guests and coverage of the Ohio State women's basketball team on Land Grant Holy Land. Make sure you subscribe to Land Grant Holy Land on your podcast app of choice to hear more from Buckeyes football and men and women's basketball. Here's the interview with Sloan. Sloan, you've worked in many, many different sports with many different people, as folks are about to learn. Um, but one of your co-workers was recently on a Land-Grant Holy Land podcast before the OSU Georgia college football game. Um, folks, you know, other folks probably listening know Mike Golick Jr. So I thought it was a nice coincidence that you're on here talking about what I think is an equally important game of the number two Buckeyes versus the number 10 Iowa Hawkeyes. So uh, thanks for taking the time first to hang out and, and chat. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's funny uh, talking about Mike, can you believe we spent 13 straight week- weekends together throughout the football season? There was a lot, a lot of food that was ingested, a lot of donuts that happened to those kind of our theme throughout the broadcast. So if you're interested in any of that, I'm I'm here to talk about that as well. <laughs> I, I think we could devote an entire episode uh, to donuts. It's, it's, it's a love language for sure. Well, um, I was hoping that we would be able to come to Columbus. That was an, a, a potential stop where we'd have. And the first time it took me till volleyball season last year. And I'm sorry if I don't get it right. It is called Buckeye Donuts, right? Yeah, Buckeye Donuts. Yep. Yes. I finally went there. Highly. I mean, I don't have to tell your audience that I highly recommend it, but it <laughs> took too long. And now it is a regular stop. But you said you're coming to Columbus a, a couple of times, right? Uh, for yes. the rest of the season? Yes. Okay. So uh, if folks don't know, uh, Sloan Martin, you're the lead play-by-play commentator for Big Ten Network covering women's basketball, but that's like, what, tip of the iceberg? You're also, you're already talking about volleyball. You're already talking about 13 straight weeks of college football. Um, Before we get into the game, which I think is exciting in its own, own right, I love hearing from folks who cover the game or in the sport, playing it, not playing it, whatever, and just knowing their backgrounds, how they got into it and what they kind of do. So I want to know about your background. It's not a full, you know, autobiography. It'll be like, okay, the day I was born, but <laughs> you know, you played basketball yourself. What led you to going into commentary? What led you into the journalism field for sports and kind of how you landed here now with the big 10? 
Yeah, this is my second season as that lead broadcaster doing the Big Ten tournament again, which is this year where I live in Minneapolis. I've been here for six years now, and I did play Division Three basketball. I thought about potentially going to the broadcasting giants in the uh, national landscape, and I thought, no, my identity is basketball, and I may not be very good. I am a six-foot five, not six foot five, but I'm a six footer as a center who literally cannot shoot beyond the three point line. If my heels are on the three point line money, if my toes are behind the three point line, absolutely not probably fouling more than I do scoring, but I was still so tied up in basketball as a part of my identity. And that's why I love this role so much is because I have so much respect for these players. I played with division one players when I played AAU in high school and saw the talent, the dedication, the athleticism, the intelligence that it takes to make it at that level, to be on these rosters, let alone on great teams in places like the big 10. So that has just carried that passion for the sport has just carried me for a very long time. I played division three. And, uh, you know, after that, I knew that I wanted to be a broadcaster. That was something that was always lined up for me, really, since I was about in high school. I saw people like Susie Colber, um, Alex Flanagan, um, just so many people, Lisa Salters, women who I greatly looked up to as being these authoritative, trustworthy presences with the mic in their hand. And then I just my love of sports, I just knew this is the route that I wanted to go. So I started out doing a lot of high school games, but in order to make a salary, I actually ended up working as a news anchor and reporter for 10 years. First in a very small one-person newsroom in uh, a small town in Western New York, then Buffalo, then Minnesota, where I was at WCCO Radio in Minneapolis and covered the biggest news in the Twin Cities in the last several years, um, including the pandemic, including um, George Floyd's murder, including the trial that succeeded that. So seen a lot, met so many people. I really do love having that news background in terms of being able to not separate news and sports, events in life with sports. Uh, So that's what brought me to Minnesota. And then it's just been able to grow from there, turning it uh, into what was something that I used all of my vacation time and days (laughs) off for to travel for games and do games to now uh, my full-time job. So a little bit different than maybe some other broadcasters. Um, I definitely do not miss uh, 4 a.m. to noon shifts and covering fires, for example, and in five degree weather at four 40 in the morning. Uh, but it's been a, a fantastic, uh, couple of seasons and the big 10 is home. That's, that's great. I have a question about the newscaster part of it. Why, when it's really snowing or really raining or really windy, <laughs> why do they make the reporters go outside? Like we know what snow looks like. Why do they put you through that? I just, you know, now I just need to like pull the string and see what I can find out. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I wish I could give you the best answer possible, but I, so that's definitely a TV thing. They love the visual, I guess. I worked in radio. So I think that in TV, they love the visual. I don't know if people struggling, being pelted by precipitation. Um, Maybe they're trying to garner sympathy from the audience. I did have to do my fair share of person on the street reports where you ask people, Minnesotans, let me remind you again. So it's pretty cold out. 
today? You know, what do you, what do you think about that? And that was not always my favorite assignment for sure. I mean, probably 65% of my job is approaching strangers on the street. And, uh, you know, whether it is at a rally or just at other events, um, community meetings, whatever else. And those, including reporting at the airport, were not favorites. Mm. And that's a skill for folks. I, I've been interviewing athletes and coaches for a few years across, you know, a couple different sports, not as widely expansive as everything you've done or are doing, but it's definitely a skill to be able to go up and talk to somebody and get over those initial nerves. How long does it really take you? How long did it take you at first to be able to like cut that wall away and okay, I can just walk up to anybody now because I feel like that takes a while. No, it certainly does because you have to just have the confidence to go up to people. I had my greeting or introduction. I would try my best to be as really as friendly and approachable as possible. You don't want to just be coming up to folks, especially because a lot of the things that I covered for a long time are of a very sensitive nature, whether that is a contentious kind of community or school board meeting, whether that is a rally, for example, where there just are a lot of strong feelings involved, a lot of sensitivities involved too. You really want to make sure that you are approaching people the right way. And I mean, so many things direct directly relate to what I do in sports, being able to handle sensitive situations or complicated or complex complex issues, for example, that you cannot separate from sports. But you're certainly right. It it does take some time. I even actually prepared my own introduction in Spanish, too, in case I came across someone that was their first language. Now, I could not go beyond that. That was just for them to tell me no and actually know why I'm approaching them. Uh, But you're certainly right that it, it, it takes reps, just like anything. And I would say, whether it is interviewing, being any kind of person in media, broadcasting, whatever it is, it takes a lot of reps. Yeah. Um, and more, more power to you. That's fantastic. So we have a, you're professional as everyone can hear, obviously (laughs) you've, uh, you've been doing this for a while. Um, thanks for sharing a little bit of your background. Like I said, I, I love hearing that stuff. And as I said, prior to us recording, doing commentary for, uh, sports events, I, I applaud anybody who does it. Uh, I feel sometimes uh, it's almost the not the same level. Like referees will get a lot of stuff thrown at them on the internet, and people are always upset. I think commentators, not to the same degree, you kind of get the same. Especially you know who whoever's watching is their team winning, is their team losing. So I have major respect. It's it's easy to say stuff about it, but I could never do what you do. So thank you, thank you for being here. Um, you don't just cover big time women's basketball, but you're covering games in the big East. You'll also do games on CBS sports. We talked that you do, you do volleyball, you do football, uh, specifically in basketball. We're going to bring it to eventually Ohio state versus Iowa. I want to just talk about Ohio state season so far. They're number two in the country. This is my second full season covering them. I wasn't expecting this. (laughs) I wasn't expecting them to be under South Carolina in the rankings this close. I didn't think that it was really a possibility. And you see so much basketball, you cover so much in conference, outside of conference. What have you seen about Ohio state that really makes them a a dangerous team? Well, I'll first say that I think it's very logical in thinking 
about this team being the number two team in the country that ties the all-time highest ever ranking in Ohio State history, a program that has achieved a great deal of success uh, in the program's history. And to do it for this many weeks, J.C. Sheldon's played five games and then to lose a fantastic point guard. And I even hear this from other people around the league, Thomas, who say they were just such fans of Madison Green. Um, And it's just a shame that we've seen, unfortunately, so little of her in the past couple of years. So you have that emotional impact, too, and to continue to win games. And I actually, the most recent Ohio State game I did was just uh, last weekend uh, against Nebraska in Lincoln, where they were ahead from the get-go and were really confident throughout. And that was even without... Taylor Mikesell scoring for a good chunk of time. I want to say she had, um, she went from about five minutes left in the second quarter to at least deep in the third quarter without a basket, without scoring in that mm-hmm. game. And they were still able to build and hold on to a double digit lead. So what I think makes them so good, I mean, it's a long list. To me, it starts with the press that I think is unmatched. It leads to that turnover margin. Of course, you're going to beat teams when you are not turning the ball over and then getting steals, getting turnovers on the other side, turning that into points. It is the shooting. They're one of the best shooting teams in the country, both overall and three-point range. You have Taylor Mikesell, who I think is playing like an All-American, even though everyone knows this is one of the best shooters in the country. She is top of the scouting report for every single opponent, and she is still able to get shots off because of that quick release. She has just been outstanding for this team. You have depth now. You have Cody McMahon, who came into this program with a professional mentality. She didn't have to adapt about the hard work and learning about the hard work, the dedication, the concentration it takes to be a good player. She just walked on campus already with that kind of mentality innately. Then you're also building players like Taylor Theory and Heaven Bristow, who are just crazy, lanky, great athletes who are also making smart plays on the floor as well. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Rebecca Mikulashikova and how she has expanded her game. And just when you thought, uh, she depending on the three-point line too much, I mean, there were some games where she would take 10 threes and maybe only two from two-point range. And you think maybe is she just depending on that and um, just settling outside the three-point line. And then she has a game against Nebraska in which she was masterful in the paint. So I know that did not narrow anything down for you. I think it is all (laughs) these things combined that make them so good because it is so interesting. And I ask Kevin McGuff and he doesn't really have an answer for how they're continuing to play so well. Um, And then talking to Ricky Harris uh, before the game against Nebraska, and this really stuck with me. She said, it's trust. We just trust each other. And it's this program that has this combination that's both internal and from the coaching staff that's enforced of both it being fun and intense. And that to me describes a really good team, a a team with a really strong winning mentality that wants to go very deep. And that's why they are being so cautious with JC Sheldon and, and really slowly bringing her along. So It is so many combinations of things, but really it is that press and their shooting, I would say, the way they can force those turnovers and also just just shoot the basketball. It's almost unmatched. Like like you said, there are a lot of different things that are going really well for them this year. And when you look Mm -hmm. at other teams, 
Um, like, like you look at Indiana, you look at uh, Illinois this year, who's having an amazing season. Shauna Green's done fantastic coaching them. Um, Ohio State's also doing it without any new big transfers that came in. I know Mike Sell came in last year, had the full season, but they're kind of doing it with players that fit the system instead of maybe getting the top 15 recruit. Cody McMahon, to her credit, a, a 23rd ranked player in the country. So not, you know, it didn't just wake up like, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly good at basketball. She's she's a talent. But yeah, it's been it's been interesting to watch this season. It's been interesting to see them change just from one season to another, uh, seeing such a large uh, kind of burst of energy with that full court press where last year they did it from game to game. It helped them get back into games. But this year it seemed to be their full identity, actually until Nebraska, where they did a lot more half court, where they were still pressing, but they were kind of saving legs is what uh, coach said after the game. So now they're trying to win other ways too. I I look at their experience and I talk about other teams bringing transfers and bringing new players. And that's that's part of the game. I mean, Mike sells on Ohio State. You said she's a potential All-American. She did not start at Ohio State. So Ohio State's benefited from that portal. But when they go up against teams who are maybe newer, you saw that against Illinois. Illinois was up big, 17 points in the third quarter. But Ohio State's veteran, and you said trust, Ricky Harris said that uh, against uh, for her and her teammates. They have a way of just flipping a switch, hitting a run, and it just demoralizes teams that maybe don't have the same level. I'm, I'm not saying that against Illinois or other teams like that because they have it, but Ohio State seems to have those, say, intangibles, right? The things that aren't necessarily um, rebounding or scoring that's able to lift them above these other teams and kind of quiet them. Um, so it's been... It's been fun. It's been interesting to watch this season. Uh, I think coming up now, we're talking about Iowa game. Obviously, with this happening Monday night, it's a huge one. I mean, Kelsey Mitchell's going to be in the house, <laughs> former Ohio State All-American. So there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot happening in the arena, and then of course on the court. We're recording this for folks listening Wednesday night. So this is before the Northwestern game Ohio State plays, and also currently with a. Michigan State Iowa game where Michigan State is actually ahead of them entering the fourth quarter so who knows what's going to end there but Iowa outside of a potential upset on on Wednesday night they're still the Iowa Hawkeyes they still feature Caitlin Clark Monica Cesano excuse me they're a team that can hurt people and I was kind of wondering what you've seen from them after they lost to Illinois. They kind of went on what I felt was a little bit of an anger fueled game where unfortunately teams like Penn state were in their way and Iowa didn't relent. I think they beat Penn state by almost 50 and Caitlin Clark played into 41. Okay. And Caitlin Clark played well into the fourth quarter. Um, What have you kind of seen from Iowa here in the big 10 conference schedule? 
Yeah. When my colleagues, um, Mike Call and Megan McEwen are getting Carver cones on air because so things jealous. are, oh. I, I have not ever had one. The lines are too long. And now I'm going to just request that be brought to me. I don't think I have that power. <laughs> I'm definitely not one who's like directing people around. Let's put that on the record. But uh, that just really just showed how out of hand things were. And I think you're right where Iowa um, is very much capable of making a statement like that. Um, they have been able to keep teams in check. You have Wisconsin against them that scored 71 points, but with the exception of Michigan and Illinois, they've all been under 70 points, which I think does show some growth with their defense too, which has been a concern the last couple of years. But Iowa, to me this season, it is still the epitome of a machine where you have the same starters for three straight years, even with Gabby Marshall having pretty much career lows across the board. She's not been able to really refine what has made her a 40% three-point shooter with uh, throughout her entire career this season. They've still been able to be a dominant team and a top 10 team in the nation this season. But now at this point in the year, they're starting to develop depth. You're seeing the freshman Hannah Stolke, who's from nearby in Cedar Rapids. She has had some moments that are jaw-dropping. I called her first double-double where you see her hand and nearly her elbow up above everyone else as she's skying for a rebound. Um, Lisa Bluter says she rebounds and jumps like Nas Hillman, just her ability to make an impact on the glass. And then Sydney Folter and Molly Davis too have been really, really great off the bench for this team that is looking for contributors outside of that starting five. I think you can't talk about Iowa. Of course, we're going to talk about Clark and Sonato. They are an all-American pair, but this team to me, the heart is Kate Martin. She is someone who uh, grew up playing football. Her dad is a football coach. She grew up in that tough and competitive environment and someone who her teammates could see being a future coach someday as well. And she carries that. She commands every single huddle and you see the leadership that she has. I think she is so integral to why Iowa has been good for so long. And of course, that's even with the playmaking of Caitlin Clark and uh, of Monica Sonato, of course, too. So there is a lot to be nervous about, of course, them uh, being co-Big Ten champions last year and carrying almost everything over. But like I said, I think at this point in the season, you're looking at them maybe developing depth because that was something that Coach Bluter talked about, not feeling like they had that go-to backup for Sonano. So if she does get into foul trouble, for example, where can you also equal or get some, a percentage of, that production that she brings. And I think you're starting to see that from Stolke. And all the things you mentioned, they're a veteran team. They have a lot of the same type of characteristics of an Ohio state in terms of that trust level, in terms of how long these players have played. They have a lot of leadership on the court, but this year too, with Iowa, they, they've played a tough schedule. Let's put that out there. They haven't had too many upset upsets. I know Drake kind of took them, uh, took them late uh, early on in the season, but what has Kansas been State their is weakness? a pretty good team as well. Oh, yeah, Can- it was only yeah, a Kansas one point State. game. Yep. Yeah. What have you, what have you seen as kind of their weaknesses or, or is it just, you know, I talked uh, earlier about maybe looking past a current opponent for another game. Like what have you seen from Iowa as a weakness? 
Well, just as I say that I think that they are developing depth, I would also say that that is something of a weakness too. They really are so revolving around that starting five and the specific roles and strengths that each of the five of them produce that when you do get different people into the game, there is a little bit of an adjustment too. And I think that They certainly have made strides defensively, but that is always going to be something that maybe you peg against Iowa. Uh, Looking at, um, you know, their their conference stats, they're middle of the pack right now. And like I mentioned, too, they have held all but two Big Ten teams to 71 points and below. But those two that they allowed, um, you know, over 80, close to 90 have been against really good teams. That's Illinois and Michigan. And those are the teams you want to be able to beat and take care of. And Iowa for years now has been able to settle similar to Ohio State, has been able to settle on, well, we can outscore anyone. There's very few teams in the country that can say that and really back it up. And these are the two teams that can do that. But I think locking that down, particularly the paint, and I think you could see the same thing about Ohio State too, and they have kind of that one true big in Nikola Shakova, who's been bringing her game out and, and pulling her away from inside the paint. Is that where other teams could possibly exploit them? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think Ohio State, they've seen them get exploited this season from that. Kendall Bostic just last week in that Illinois game, 27 and 15 points and rebounds. And then uh, Dulce from USF, she had, well, I think it was 34 and 17, something crazy like that, where at the beginning of the season, and, and this is kind of what plagued Ohio State last year when they went up against Nas Hillman or Mackenzie Holmes, they They had trouble against teams that were really strong inside the paint. And then you thought this year against Tennessee and Tamari Key. um, And you also saw it against Boston College where they have an outstanding center uh, sophomore out there too. Ohio State was actually holding them pretty well, better than they did at all last season. But this year it's starting to creep back in, kind of at a tough time when uh, you you do welcome Iowa to to Columbus on on Monday. So that would be interesting. Last year they had – 180 points combined <laughs> whenever Ohio State uh, went to Iowa. Did you cover that game by chance in Iowa last year? Were you on that call? I don't think so. Okay. I would have okay. been watching though. Yeah. Uh, that was one where it was Mike Sell and it was Mikola Shikova actually, who last year, this year has been kind of night and day for her compared to uh, the last few seasons, just because she was kind of thrust into that starting forward position with the transfers that hit Ohio state a few years back. Uh, But she hit a ton of threes last year, kind of like against Nebraska, but a a little bit like you mentioned earlier, one dimensional where throw up 10 and uh, fortunately against Iowa last year, I think she hit, Oh, what was it? Uh, She hit a good amount. She went uh, six for nine or five for six from three, Mm -hmm. actually where against Nebraska, she showed that, kind of flexibility do you think that this will be again another game where they're reaching potentially 200 combined points or do you think Iowa can take advantage of an Ohio State team that still is undefeated they're number two in the country but they are without like you mentioned earlier JC Sheldon potentially Madison Green is out for the year do you think they could you know use that to their advantage this year 
Okay, I'm not any kind of gambler or better by any means. Me either. But I would say my over under, I mean, I'm I'm with you where I'm thinking an over under of like 170, 175, something like mm. that. Maybe not quite 200. I think it would have to go into extras there to reach that point. But I do think uh, for the reasons we've talked about and maybe thinking about, um, you know, what makes Ohio State maybe getting the advantage here and where we have seen some growth. And as I look at this, um, you know, they're third in the Big Ten in scoring defense, for example, in Big Ten games. And as we're getting to the midway point, I think that that does, um, you know, it does mean something, even though teams have been playing different opponents and, and whatnot, but we're getting close to that midway point. And I think that does carry some weight um, is the ability to turn teams over and to turn it into baskets immediately. And that quick succession of points that Ohio State is capable of. I mean, something um, that is interesting about them. I mean, there's been at least five games where they've been trailing by double double digits, if not in the second half, including a couple most recently, Minnesota, and then also um, Illinois, too. And I tend to err on the, instead of saying, oh, what a resilient team. I can't believe they're able to do that. That's fantastic. I think why are they in these double digit holes in the first place? And should that be examined, you know, more thoroughly than just thinking, wow, this is very exciting. And it is though. And that was something where Kevin McGuff too kind of shrugged and was like, I don't know, we're just not getting off to the best starts, the fastest starts. And I think they did that against Nebraska, certainly reversed that getting out to a 13 to two lead. And I think that will be extremely important against Iowa because they're also a team that can reel off points in a hurry. Caitlin Clark gets a defensive rebound, pushes it up the floor and they're scoring, you know, four, six seconds later. Um, So there's just so many similarities between these two teams, but I think Ohio State's tangible way that they get steals and generate points on that side of the floor, just really increasing the efficiency of their ability to turn those stops into points. I think that's something that um, makes them a really special team and might give them the upper hand against an Iowa who does play really fast and score a lot. Yeah. Cause in, in those big games outside of the game against Oregon, um, every ranked game that they've played this year, they've gone down fairly fairly big against Louisville against Tennessee and um like you said they've been able to define that fight and every game it seems to be something slightly different and against Nebraska in the third quarter it was uh Miklashkova's and and her teammates who not just on one person Kevin McGuff said it after the game is they're passing once dribbling and trying to make a play on their own because I think they get up and they're like, oh, we're, we're winning. Let's keep doing you know, what was working. But it was the passing that let you do that. And every game seems to be just you know, a little bit different. And every coach says, okay, we're focusing on the next game. We're focusing on the next game. Um, I, I think it's interesting coming up because Ohio State has a lot of really tough you know, games ahead. They play Iowa on Monday. Three days later, they're in Bloomington facing off against Indiana. This is the part of the schedule that the Big Ten schedule makers were like, okay, this is where it starts getting really interesting, really interesting. So I'm not a, I don't gamble. I don't bet either. I'm not going to ask you for any predictions on anything like that. Um, but I think it goes down to probably the last game of the season <laughs> this year. Yeah. Last year it even did with a, a surprise Ohio State and Iowa kind of 
picking up where Michigan and Indiana might have had some extra losses here and there that they probably wouldn't have <laughs> in most in most days. Um, so it's going to be really interesting, uh, I think, as the as the year goes on. Uh, last question about that Iowa game with Caitlin Clark had 43 points against Ohio State last year. This year, her points are like a fraction lower, but her efficiency is over a percentage higher than it's been in her career. Is there any way at all to stop uh, Caitlin Clark? Or is it more like, hey, can we stop the other three or four players on the court? How how, how does that even happen? Do you know the secret to, to stopping her? I don't think anyone does because I've done a lot of Iowa games at this point and at shoot arounds, we're asking the opposing coach, what do you do? What do you do to slow them down? And you hear different things. Um, certainly if you are able to prevent Caitlin from getting that defensive rebound, then you keep the ball out of her hands and she's not able to push it up the floor. Um, I've seen other teams that are able to put in full court pressure and really try and slow them down that way. And that's what I think is going to be interesting in this matchup too. How can that impact Clark's ability to get the ball over and to really ignite um, that, not just that transition offense, but even the half court too, um, and taking some time off. Um, but I think what does well against a player like Caitlin Clark, and this is well in quotes, relatively well, because she puts up points and gets her shot off no matter what. A lot of people think that they need to match up their point guard with Clark, but I really like seeing someone who is bigger who has more size, someone who I think does a really good job. And some people might be like, Sloan, what are you talking about? She scored her career high against this player in this team. Uh, but I think she, one of the players who does the best against Caitlin Clark is Layla Felia of Michigan. And part of the reason that career high came last year, um, I think it was in Ann Arbor, was because the game was kind of out of hand, but then Caitlin Carras uh, Caitlin Clark just put on a barrage of half court bombs to try and get her team back in it. And that, you know, really, um, you know, put up a lot of points, obviously in a really short amount of time, but with feeling you have someone who is quick, but strong and physical. Um, and I think even with all the work that Caitlin has done in building muscle and putting and increasing her strength in the weight room, she still has a, a more slender frame that I think you can maybe take advantage of, especially in trying to prevent her from getting into the paint. Because not only we know that she's not obviously just a, a spot up three point shooter, her ability to mm -hmm. penetrate and dish out to her teammates is just a, such a huge part of her game as well. So I think if you can be disruptive on all parts of the floor inside and outside and I want to say bully her in a way, but maybe bring that physicality. Um, but that's one player that I do think about um, in these matchups. And I, so example for Ohio state, and I don't know what direction coach McGuff is going to go, but I would be really interested in someone like a theory on her, mm -hmm. for example, just her length. She has that speed, but can she be disruptive because she has more height because of, uh, just the reach that she has. Um, and who knows, it, it could go kind of any direction, but I would be curious if that, um, you know, is a matchup we might see. Cause I feel like that is when uh, Clark has been slowed or at least been able to take her out from finding that first option, making things a little more uncomfortable where she has to think harder and has to work harder as well. Yeah. 
That's a great point. And as you were talking about Caitlin and putting somebody maybe taller on her, I was thinking the, uh, theory also, just because she has that height and you kind of talk about it with, uh, uh, with Iowa Senate, their freshman uh, theory kind of has the same qualities where she can probably jump higher than anybody in the arena oh, yeah. on any given night. She, we've talked about it. Uh, the media folks at Ohio state games were pretty sure she could dunk. She's not, we don't care. We're not it. like, we're not <laughs> folks who are like, you need to dunk. We don't really care about it. She's somebody who's pretty quiet spoken. And we all agree that she would probably never dunk in public, but she could. <laughs> There's <are> some layups <laughs> on breaks that she's had this year where it's like, oh, that was way too easy of a layup. You're right there on the edge. You could definitely do it. Um, yeah. But we'll never see it anyway. Uh, that's an interesting, also Ricky Harris. I know Ricky Harris started yes. last year. She kind of played in that third guard role, kind of defensive for Ohio State next to Sheldon and Mike Sell. But as a point guard this year, I say point guard. She's technically in that role now, but she plays anything one through four. <laughs> she'll she'll play some forward. She'll play, you know, that defensive part. She's been dishing out assists higher than at any point in her career um, it's because of Green and Sheldon's injuries now. But it'll be interesting to see. I think there are a few players who could, you're not going to probably stop Clark. Like you said, uh, if the, if the coaches knew the secret, she wouldn't be, you know, a front runner for player of the year, but yeah, um, yeah that'll be interesting. Uh, Sloan, it's going to be a fun game. I know you're not on the call for that one, but you have a equally as spicy, I would say a <laughs> game coming up. Uh, who are you, who are you covering next for the yeah, Big Ten? It's going to be uh, Indiana, Michigan. So you have great, great defensive teams. It's a little bit of the reverse of this matchup <laughs> in some ways where these teams are uh, some of the best defensive teams in the conference, undoubtedly. And I mean, if she wasn't in the same conference as Caitlin Clark, we'd be talking about Mackenzie Holmes as player of the year. That's what yeah. kind of season she is having. Um, you know, you have a great freshman in Yarden Garzon. Uh, there's just so many great Grace Berger playing out of her mind too, all American level, I would say as well. Um, so just really exciting to see those. I know we talked a, a little bit about uh, Michigan and gave them some love, but they are, I mean, also having obviously a tremendous year. Yeah. Especially post Hillman. I think a yeah. lot of myself included probably thought, okay, Michigan's going to take a dip and they're right really right there where they were last season. They're right there. So it's, it's interesting. And then another trip for Ohio state to Ann Arbor near the end of the season should be, yes, should be interesting too. So um, Sloan, thank you so much for your time. If you're listening to this and you're in the shot and scene center, next time you see Sloan at the commentator's desk, bring a Buckeye donut down. I don't know if you can buy them in the, I don't think you can buy them in the arena, get it into the arena. I'm sure you could. Um, and we need to give her the same treatment that uh, Megan and, uh, was it Mike, right? Mike was yes, uh, yes. the two you of know, them had, cause that's unfair. This was very kind of you to put that shout out at, and I would gladly accept uh, unless there's some kind of, you know, interesting concession item at the shot I should know about. Uh, the problem is I just, it's a little busy before games. I don't get to just right. kind of wander about, unfortunately. Uh, but I am open to any suggestions. It's like you have a job to do or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Concentrating a little bit. I'd love to be able to just meander around. Um, the thing is, doing this now full-time, I go to a lot fewer games just in general, you know, throughout the yeah. year. Um, so in a way, I'm missing it a little bit right now. Yeah. 
Well, hopefully a donut will help it feel better. Someone's going to answer the call, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Sloan Martin, thank you so much again for hanging out uh, with with us today and really looking forward to that matchup and, and good luck throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, thanks so much, Thomas. 